morning. Please find First Thessalonians in your Bibles, please. It's on page twelve hundred nine in my Bible, which is an an old NIV that's thirty years old. So, well, as we we look at this today, I want to start with a question: uh, Do you have a difficult time with evangelism, with sharing the gospel with people. Um, if you don't, if evangelism is easy for you, well, first, just know that I'm jealous. Uh, second, just know that you're probably obnoxious. Um, hopefully not. Some people are really gifted. They do a great job. But for many of us, it is difficult to steer a conversation to spiritual things or to get toward the Gospels and share the Gospel effectively. Often the reason is fear or a lack of confidence. So where do we get the confidence to share the Gospel, to tell people about Christ, to help them face what may be unpleasant truth and, and yet to embrace the glorious truth of the Gospel, the goodness and joy and freedom we've we sung about this morning? Um, it's a common enough question that I've faced and encountered that I think it's helpful for us to be reminded of where our confidence comes from so that we can be faithful with the opportunities the Lord gives us. Now, if you read 1 Thessalonians and you look at the first three chapters fairly carefully, I think you'll see that it looks like Paul is, he, he talks about what happened in chapter 1 and then in chapters 2 and 3 he unpacks that in more detail. It looks like, at least to me, that chapter 2 sort of unpacks what he says in verses 4 and 5 about how the gospel came to you in power and, and deep conviction with the Holy Spirit, and then talks about their response and them following the example. And then chapter 3 tells Paul's story of what happened after they left, about his uh, concern for them while he was waiting to hear how they were doing, his deep joy of hearing that they in fact had endured and were doing well, and his longing to see them again. So why does he do this? Why unpack the story? Why give us that much detail in what had happened? Well, it's not hard to imagine that the Jews from Thessalonica, who had also pursued him as far away as Berea to try to undermine him, had continued to try to undermine him back in Thessalonica. They probably labeled him as a spiritual fraud, a spiritual abuser, someone who was only after their money or their, their allegiance, something like that. There were a lot of teachers like that in that day, right? But Paul doesn't really counter any arguments here any, against his message, nor does he really answer direct, personal, specific personal attacks like he does in other places. Instead, he talks more about how they lived. He talks more about what the, the ethos of his team, the things that guided them, that gave them the confidence to do what they did when they were with them. So I think his ultimate purpose here is to equip the Thessalonians to carry the message farther. It was obvious God had done a great work there. Many had come to faith. It's obvious also, as he says in chapter 1, the gospel had rang out from Thessalonica, from, from them, from their church. Everyone in the region seemed to know what had happened. And yet, they faced some challenges in this because first, they were still new in their faith. I remember trying to share the gospel as a new believer. It's like, I think I had, you know, the high points white, but I probably said some really awkward stuff too. You know, that, that's just part of, part of learning, right? And that may have been an issue for them. Um, we also recall they were being persecuted. We also recall from Acts 17 that 
they were not as noble as the fine folks from Berea. And so, you know, Paul deals with a couple of character issues later in the letter. So those things may have been challenges as well in the way that they carried the message. They had received the gospel, they'd come to Christ, loved the Lord, desired to see other people come, spreading the message, but Paul is equipping them to do this well. And this involves not just sharing a message, passing on information, but it also involves with involves how that message, how Christ has changed your life and the impact he makes and the way that we live even as we share. Because you really can't separate the message from the messenger. So in today's scripture, early part of chapter two, we see the foundation that the gospel gives to our lives and to our witness. Paul said in chapter one and verse five, the gospel had come in not in word only, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, that is deep assurance. And here he takes us deeper into what he meant by that. So let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter two, the first four verses. He says, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Well, I see seven things here that can help us grow in a gospel-centered confidence to share the gospel with others. You hear seven and look at the clock and you think it really, yeah, <laughs> we really might be here this evening. Don't worry, do not fear little flock. Uh, we'll, we'll get you to Novishmikov on time. Um, so the first of these is to measure success by faithfulness. So there is a contrast in verses 1 and 2, but I think uh, we see it in the NIV here, but I think the NAS gives us a, a bit better picture of, of what Paul is saying here because the NIV generally aims at smoothness over literalness. So the NIV says, and I'll abridge, I have it abbreviated there in the slide. The NIV says, our visit to you was not without results, or in my older NIV it says it was not a failure. We suffered, but we dared to tell. Okay, so the contrast there is we, between our suffering and even, you know, we had suffered, but we dared to tell. We were bold. The NAS says, our coming to you was not in vain, a little different wording, but after we had suffered, we had the boldness in our God to speak. So just notice the, the contrast there. It's not between suffering and a bold witness like the NIV. It is between no results and being bold to share the gospel. That is... Paul counted their time there a success because they had declared the gospel faithfully. Now that's an important thing for us because success and evangelism, it is not conversion as much as we love to see people come to know Christ. Success and evangelism is faithfulness to the message. Okay, you cannot change someone's heart. It means so we must be faithful to the message. That means we must be faithful to the gospel. We must share it faithfully. But it also means we should be faithful with opportunities. As there is an open door, as God gives us opportunity, we should be bold to, to take those opportunities. And I say that in, even already in my conscience and mind and memory, there are times when I have missed those opportunities and I've watched that person walk away and I think, 
dude, you are so pathetic. (laughs) And my prayer is, Lord, send somebody who will be faithful to them. Because I've blown it today. I'll... We'll see what happens tomorrow. So I say that to say, if you know, don't don't be crippled by failure. You just repent, move on, keep praying, but eventually, open your mouth. You have good news. Don't be embarrassed about it. So, success is faithfulness. It, it's not st- it's not statistics. It's not conversion, it is faithfulness. This is what God judges us on, is faithfulness to the message, faithfulness with opportunities. Now, that also means faithfulness with opportunities means overcoming the obstacles that keep us from talking about Christ. And the biggest one, the most common one, especially in an area where there's not a lot of persecution, is, is just fear, right? And I've learned that, that when I have that fear, and I do have that fear sometimes, I have that uh, do, I, do I really want to go here? And I think, well, I really do, but then there's a part of me that doesn't, so there's this internal struggle. Oddly enough, 40 years in, in Christ, and that's still a, a battle. Not much of one, but it happens. What I find, though, is that if I can get through about the first five seconds, I'm fine. That's the hardest part for me. Now, you guys may be great, never have any trouble with it, but if I can just... Go ahead. It's like I was at the dentist. It's been four or five years. I know I was in the U.S. And he said, I've got to do a little more drilling. I can give you more anesthetic. But, it, you know, I may not have given you quite enough. But so it might hurt. He said, but he said, this will be 20 seconds top. I thought, just do it. Well, he started drilling and I counted to 20. <laughs> you know, are tears rolling out. <laughs> you know? He said, why didn't you tell me to give you more anesthetic? I said, look, you said 20 seconds. I counted to 20. It's done. Let's, you know, I don't want to pay for more drugs. It's just, you know, let's get this done. Get through those first seconds. Everything's good. And, you know, I didn't have, you know, saliva running out of my mouth and, you know, talking like a, well, I did talk like a moron the rest of the day, but it had nothing to do with the dentist. So anyway, somehow that's not in my notes. Okay. Get through those first few seconds. That's the point. Now, there is, of course, a time and a place for evangelism. I'm not saying you should go to work tomorrow morning, stand up on your desk, preach the gospel to your entire office. That's generally not a good idea. There is a time and a place. But I would encourage you to be alert for opportunities. If you have an open door, go through it. Be ready to identify yourself in some, maybe in some indirect way as a follower of Christ so that it's not a a total shock if you bring the gospel into a conversation. So if we understand success is faithfulness, this also means our goal is not just to get information out as if I have covered the points and I don't really care what happens. We do care. We do want to persuade. We want to see people come to Christ. We want to help them address barriers in their repentance and faith. But ultimately, the results belong to God. They are in God's hands. We cannot change people's hearts. We can share the good news. He changes hearts. He, this is what he uses. He uses the, the word preached and taught and sung and shared personally to change people's hearts. So the pressure should be off you. Just be alert for opportunities. Tell people good news. Second thing is be emboldened by suffering. We see in verse 2 their previous sufferings had fed their confidence. Paul reminds them that he and his team had suffered terribly in Philippi before they came to Thessalonica. That story is in Acts 16. They were stripped, they were beaten, they were thrown into prison. A lot more happened, but that was a suffering part of it. And like in Philippi, when they came to Thessalonica, they encountered 
serious opposition to the gospel there and in Berea, and they prepared the Thessalonians for suffering. So and we'll see more about that in a future message. So the NIV says, and again, I'm going to draw another contrast here. The NIV says in verse 2, we suffered, but with the help of God, our God, we dare to tell you. But again, I think the NAS gives a little bit better sense of it. That is, after we had suffered, there's not a, a but there, there's not a contrast. After we had suffered, we had the boldness in our God to speak. So it's like Paul's sufferings were not a reason for him not to share. They, in fact, gave him boldness and strength to share. It, somehow it freed him to share the gospel even more boldly. The prospect of a negative reaction to the gospel, of some level of persecution, it can be intimidating. But often you realize once that happens, it's really not nearly as bad as you expected. And often it, it has the opposite effect of, of giving you additional strength and boldness. So don't, be, don't let that control you, the, the prospect of a negative reaction or hostility or, or uh, even persecution. Let's be bold, take those opportunities. When we were in Romania, we were blessed to cross paths several times with Josef Tson, who had suffered much for his bold witness against communism in the 80s. Uh, one time he, had, he would say he had been afraid to suffer, very concerned, took great pains to avoid it. But then the inevitable happened. After he was actually arrested and interrogated and beaten, persecution and suffering lost its hold on him. And he... His passion for the gospel grew. It was fed by what he suffered. So he says this in a sermon. Whenever they, that is the officials, the secret police or local officials, whenever they arrested us and beat us and did all those things, each time we came out stronger and everybody in the country listened better to our preaching. Don't you see how they are God's instruments? How they are always pushing God's cause onward? His suffering fed his boldness. It didn't intimidate him. And they suffered. They suffered terribly. And many of you have been in places where just a generation ago, that's what happened when you preached the gospel. But God uses that to give us more boldness. And it's not just persecution for the gospel. Any kind of suffering clarifies what's important in life. We realize what Christ means to us. And, and it frees us to share the gospel. I remember going to see a, a seminary prophet in the hospital when I was a student. And Nurse would walk in and he'd share the gospel with her and she'd walk out and somebody else come in and check his blood pressure. He'd share the gospel with them. <laughs> so like, you know, he's laying there. What else do I have to do but tell good news to whoever comes in my room? It's awesome. So a third thing is make God's gospel your gospel. So in verse two, he says, we dare to tell you his gospel. With the help of our God, we dare to tell you his gospel. Now, literally, it's we, we dare to tell you the gospel of God, Okay. Again, I'm not, I'm not hammering the NIV. I just, you know, have, I would have done it differently, but they didn't invite me on the committee. So, we dare to tell you his gospel, literally the gospel of God. Now, the NIV uses a pronoun. Again, just, they're just trying to make it smoother. That's okay. It's God's gospel. It's his, right? He's the author of it. We must be faithful to it. But in verse 3, he mentions the appeal we make. And again, the light, the the wording is, is, the structure, I guess, is similar. You'd say it's our appeal. So it's God's gospel, but it's our appeal. The word for appeal is translated to exhortation or urging. It's the kind of thing that something is spoken that calls for a response. It's like we're getting ready to go to church, and I get dressed, and Karen says, you're going to wear that? 
Well, she's not looking for information. She's not taking a survey, right? The idea is change is needed. Now, full disclosure, I picked this out myself. I think I did pretty well. I did get approval from senior management. But then Treff said I looked nice, and that made me question. Uh, <laughs> you know, if I had uh, if I'd really made the right choice. So if you see my adult children, tell them, yes, despite what they think, their father can get dressed all by himself somehow. <laughs> so um, so that's, that's, that's what this word appeal means. That is, it, it calls for some kind of response. That's what we do in the gospel, right? We're not just sharing information. This is news that demands a response. It's like you hear news that the house is on fire. Well, you need to do something. You need to get out of the house. You hear news that death is conquered, that forgiveness is available. What do I do, right? I read in Acts 2 this morning, just part of my morning time. You know, brothers, what do we do? We've, we've heard this. God has exalted Jesus, overcome death, and, and that, that's the response that it, that it calls for. So <clears throat> the gospel is God's. We don't change it. But we don't share the, the good news dispassionately as if it doesn't matter and if it has nothing to do with our lives. Because we, we, there was a time when we heard the gospel, we came to Christ, he's changed our lives. And the gospel finds expression in different ways in each of our lives. And so there is a sense in which, yes, it is God's gospel, but there is also an appeal that you have. You have an expression of the gospel that, that really nobody else has. Because you have a different story. Your life has taken different turns than anyone else. You've learned different lessons at different times. And you can say, you can testify, this was hard. This was a trial. This is what God did for me. This is what I learned. Like, like my story showed earlier this morning, right? So that's, that's God's gospel, but it's your appeal. And that should feed your confidence. You have a, a personal story. You have a... a Part of the story that adds beauty, uh, decorates, shall we say, the, the main story. So own your story, tell your story, be sure you tell his story, but do it with confidence. And fourth is to be convinced of the truth of the gospel. Paul says in verse 3, the appeal we make, our appeal, it does not spring from error. So Paul was, his team was, we must be convinced of the truth of the gospel and of the biblical truth that serves as a foundation for the gospel. It's all true, absolutely, universally. It comes from a God who cannot err due to ignorance, who cannot lie, cannot deceive, and he is not a failure at communicating. And you will never be effective as a witness if you're not convinced the gospel is true, if you're not convinced that people need Jesus. They need him. They really do. Now, you will be with people whose lives look all together and they look happy enough. Their life seems stable. They need Christ. Don't be fooled by appearances. It may take some time to, to get past the veneer and the idols to see what's really going on. But people, as Steve Green sang decades ago, people need the Lord. Okay, Don't be fooled by appearances. Um, <clears throat> Now, to say that the gospel is true, then we must be convinced of, it, convinced of it. This is, in fact, offensive to the modern mind. I've had people say to me, yeah, you know, that's good. That works for you, but, you know, it's really not for me, or I've tried it. It didn't work for me. You know, there are people who don't believe in absolute truth, don't believe in right or wrong 
until they get cut off in traffic or somebody breaks in front of them in the line. Then, then they have a sense of, of what's, that, that there is indeed some right and wrong in the world, right? But the gospel is absolute truth. It is universal truth. It is not just my story that I think works for me. It is God's story. It is the gospel. It is true for everyone. So the news is for everyone to hear. The news that Christ has died and risen and Say to anyone, if you will repent and believe, he will save you. He'll forgive you. He'll reconcile you to God. You can say this, but you need to be convinced of it personally. If you don't believe it, that will be evident. So you need to be convinced of it. A fifth thing is check your motives. See, Paul and his team watched over their motives. He said that the appeal we make does not spring from impure motives. So he's drawing a contrast between himself and other peddlers of the wisdom of his day whose motives were typically financial or something else. We see this in our day with peddlers of the prosperity gospel, the false gospel of health and wealth. But we also have to watch over our motives. We always have in mind the welfare of the person with whom we speak, even above our own. I will say this, uh, someone who's given to morbid introspection, uh, sometimes we can be a little bit too introspective. So if you share the gospel with somebody and they come to Christ and then later you look back on and think, you know, I don't think my motives were quite right. They still go to heaven, okay? <laughs> Just know that. You know, watch your heart, guard against motives for financial gain, manipulation, control over others. We have views that we received and that we pass on. We don't, we don't try to control that. Paul persuaded people, but he didn't manipulate, he didn't, oh, sorry, getting ahead of myself. Um, check your motive. Sixth, speak and act with integrity. Paul and his team, they were committed to living and to speaking with integrity, as he says here, uh, again in, in verse 3, nor are we trying to trick you. He didn't manipulate, he didn't use any kind of deception, he says it well in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways, we do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth, plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Now, notice this, the last part of that verse. He did not aim smooth talk at emotions. He aimed plain truth at the conscience. Okay. Emotions, they come and go. They're great servants, terrible masters. But... The conscience is, is, is the deepest part of us that tells us what is right and wrong. It's not perfect in, in us. We need God's word to, to understand what's truly right and wrong. But that sense that, that there is that part of us that directs us toward right and away from wrong. So if you want to be confident in sharing the gospel, just think through carefully what you're going to say. And it is good to pre be prepared if you think, I'm going to encounter a lost person today, just go ahead and think about what will you say if you know that person? What would be their barriers? What keeps them from believing? Think through those things. That's, that's fine. That's good. Trust the Lord with the unexpected moments, right? But just avoid being deceptive or manipulative because people from with every good intention, they, well, they compromise the gospel, I think. Uh, for example, I've heard uh, some people sharing the gospel and they say things like, you know, you're hurting Jesus' feelings by not accepting his gift. And I think, what, is Jesus an insecure teenager now? 
It's like, what is, this is not, that's, that's not who Christ is. He is the king who has the power to save. He is the king against whom we have rebelled. He's not wringing his hands in heaven saying, does anybody like me? <laughs> he is the king. He is the creator. So when you share Christ, be sure you share a biblical concept of Christ, a biblical portrait of Christ. And it's especially true in the context of this passage when it comes to trials and sufferings because, again, there is the false gospel in our day that, that wants us to think, you know, if you come to Christ, you'll be wealthy and healthy, and if you, have, if you have problems in either of those areas, then the problem is with your faith, and that is simply a false gospel. It is not good news. It's terrible news, right? Because Jesus, our, our hope is in the gospel of Jesus dying and rising again, whatever happens, and he's, he's worth following, right? Paul was honest about suffering as he talked with the Thessalonians. He talked about it in chapter 1. He talks about it in chapter 2 in great detail. So just beware of that. Prepare people for the cost of following Christ. We need to prepare people that we share with that coming to Christ is not the end of their problems. Uh, you've heard that perhaps before. It's not. Often the problems intensify. Because you've, when you come to Christ, you have a new enemy <laughs> who doesn't want you to follow and will seek to undermine and discourage you and turn you away. So be honest with people that you talk to about the Lord that problems don't end, that there is suffering and trials that are very much a part of this life. And finally, and perhaps his main point here, is recognize that the gospel is entrusted to you. See, Paul and the others had confidence to share the gospel because it was something God had entrusted to them. He says in verse 4, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. So this reminds us that the gospel is something that comes to us. It's not something we know instinctively. It's not therapy and it's not advice. It's not some kind of inner light. It's not anything within us. It is news something we didn't know, something we hear and receive and respond to. So Paul saw that the gospel had been entrusted to him. If you're a follower of Christ, the gospel has been entrusted to you as well. We find this in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, where Paul tells Timothy, the things you have heard me say, the core of that would be the gospel, a lot of other things, but the core is the gospel, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust, there's that word again, to reliable people, trustworthy people, dependable, faithful people who will also be qualified to teach others. So we receive the gospel and trust, but we also entrust it to others as we pass it on to them. This is an incredible privilege. We were once God's enemies, and yet at enormous personal cost to himself, he has reconciled us to himself. And now we're not on probation, right? We are his ambassadors. Can you imagine? Imagine, and forgive me if, if this offends you, but imagine the, the war between Russia and Ukraine ends and Vladimir Putin becomes Ukraine's ambassador <laughs> to the United Nations. What? We would think he was crazy, right? But I'm telling you, we, have, we were worse and we have it better. <laughs> We were rebels against heaven's king, and we have been reconciled to him, and we are now his ambassadors. But we must be like an ambassador. We don't speak on our own. We, 
We must represent him faithfully. So this is a great privilege, but it also brings accountability. For he says in verse 3, we are not trying to please people, but God. So that, that reminds us that at some point the gospel offends people. Okay? We, we can have our quaint introductions, our good transitions. We can work on all of those. But at some point, the unpleasant reality has to be faced that you, my friend, are broken. And I am broken, right? The Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So whatever I'm saying is true of you, it's also been true of me. We are all broken. We are idolaters. We, you can fill in the blank. We have rebelled against heaven's king. And that is offensive. And you must put your hope to escape the, the judgment that your own conscience tells you is coming. Your only hope is to put your hope in this bloody, crucified, but risen Savior. You cannot put hope in yourself, in anything you do. No religious act, no ceremony, no good deed. Nothing can spare you. Nothing can deliver you, as we talked last week about the wrath to come. Nothing can deliver you in that day except a risen Savior. That is the only hope you have. And that is offensive to the modern mind. But we dare not change that. At some point, that has to be faced. And if, if a person can face that reality, they're ready to hear the good news that there is, in fact, hope in that day. And again, I've heard people troubled by this with every good intention that they try to share the gospel with others. But rather than going there, they just emphasize the benefits of the gospel. They'll say, you know, you come to Jesus and you're forgiven and you have Jesus in your heart and you go to heaven when you die. And somebody thinks, well, you know, they don't think this consciously, but I mean, I was there once. I think, well, I still love sin, but I'll sign up for fire insurance, right? You know, I still love sin, but Jesus, you keep me out of hell. So, okay, I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll play the part. But there's been no change of heart. But Jesus said it differently, right? Yes, he offered forgiveness. Yes, he offered rest for the soul. Yes, he called people to come to him to have life. But he also said, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself daily, take up your cross. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. He called people to give up whatever their ultimate loyalty, whatever their ultimate hope was in, to put their hope in him. And he did not run after people who refused. He is no insecurity nature. Right? He's, he is the king. And we dare not compromise the gospel. Now, he says they'd been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And, and this word for approved means to prove by testing. And then he uses the same word when he says God tests our heart. So what's, you know, I read that and I think, well, what's the test and how do I pass? I guess, lifelong educator. Um, well, in the immediate context, I believe he's saying that their hearts had been tested by what they had experienced, Philippi, Thessalonica, and yet they had remained faithful. And I think... That tells us what we need to know. This approval is not a mystical experience. It's not hoops to jump through. It is coming to Christ. It is being faithful through whatever tests and trials come your way. And that adds a, a chapter to your gospel story, to the appeal you make based on the gospel. And that is what God uses to draw others to faith in himself. So these are things that can help us, help us grow in our confidence to steer those conversations to the gospel to survive those few seconds of awkwardness, to joyfully introduce people to the king. So let me challenge you this week as you 
go through work and school and, and your life, that you just simply be alert for open doors. And if you see an open door, enter it confidently and joyfully. And remember, you have good news. <laughs> this is good. You have, you have what every heart would want, what every person would want, if they had enough sense to want it. Right? But you don't just tell the benefits, you, you give the whole picture. And then as we conclude, I can't help but wonder if there might be some here today or watching online who would, who would say, you know, you're talking about sharing the gospel with people. I, I need the gospel. And if, if this is you, this is what you need to know. This good news is, in fact, for you. That though we have rebelled against a holy God, and there is judgment for that, which your own conscience tells you, that there is hope in that day that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has died and risen. And if you will turn from your sin and put your hope in him, you will find forgiveness. You will find freedom. You will find reconciliation with God. If you will turn from your idolatry, your rebellion, and put your hope in him and him alone. That's his promise to you. It's valid whether you're in this room, you're watching online, and if you need the gospel, there it is. If you want to know more, feel free to ask. Please ask one of us. And let me add this. Um, you're here, a believer, and, and I know that we struggle with different things, and there are seasons to our spiritual lives. Uh, if you want to practice preaching the gospel to somebody, preach it to yourself. <laughs> we get in this bad habit of starting to live by rules or starting to judge our lives by different standards. And without realizing it, we, we drift away from the gospel. It's, it's sort of like we, uh, if you remember Jesus' uh, story, a parable in, in Luke 15 about the two sons, both of whom were lost, right? I know you've heard that and familiar with it because I preached on it and you hang on every word I said, even though it's been three or four years, right? So, you know, what happens often though is we come to Christ, we're sort of like the, the younger brother. We're just broken and we'll just do anything. And then over time, we sort of learn how to behave as Christians and we slowly, without realizing it, turn into elder brothers. We turn into the older son and we're focused on the rules and, and how to do things right. And, and then we don't like it when the little brother comes home, <laughs> when another little brother comes home. So if that's you, whatever your case, preach the gospel to yourself. It's so vitally important. We never get away from it. You never get away from it. Um, have you know, my phone, I wake up to an alarm each morning and the first thing I see is the label with the alarm and it just says good news. <laughs> because the first thing I need to do every day is preach the gospel to myself because I'm just a broken, pathetic mess. You're all nodding like you, that's self-evident. Well, thanks a lot. <laughs> well, you know it's true, right? Because you know that's true of you as well. Preach the gospel to yourselves. If God gives you opportunity, let the joy out, let it overflow, share good news with other people. Pray God will give you strength. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel. We thank you for good news because we are broken. We are idolaters. We are rebels. We are dead in trespasses of sin, and yet you have made us alive with Christ. You have given us good news. You have entrusted a message to us. We so desire to be faithful. We Even in the course of this message, friends have come to my mind. I'm sure it has with my friends here today. We pray that you would open the door, help us to recognize opportunities you are giving us, and grant us courage and boldness in that when those opportunities come to be faithful to the message, to be authentic with the, the appeal you have worked into our lives. 
and to enter those conversations with joy and confidence because of who you are and what you've done. The things we've heard today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.